Do you think you may have a problem with your alcohol consumption or drug use? Are you thinking about quitting and want to know what all the sober hype is about? Whatever the reason, I'm so grateful you're here with me today. My name is Sarah, and I am the creator and host of Sober Gratitudes. I once was an active alcoholic, and after decades of failed attempts to control my drinking, I finally reached out for help. Letting others help me is why I'm here today, living a life I never thought possible. The suffering of my past was the catalyst I needed to find recovery and be receptive to healing. I created this podcast out of the desire to recover out loud and, with the help of my guests, show you how a better life is possible after addiction. Whether you have been here before or you are a first-time listener, I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to write a review on Apple Podcasts so that it can reach more people who may be struggling. Together, we can help those in need. You can also reach me at SoberGratitudes at gmail.com with any questions or comments. Thank you again for dropping in today, and welcome to Sober Gratitudes. Sober Gratitudes is a podcast dedicated to spreading the hope in recovery from addiction. It is an inclusive show that does not promote or represent any recovery program. When my guests and I discuss what keeps us sober, we are referring to our own unique experiences. Our goal is to encourage and give hope to those who are struggling and need support. Sober Gratitudes podcast is proud to come together and partner with Valor Fitness Clothing in our mutual mission to support and encourage the recovering community. Based in Los Angeles and inspired by real recovery, Valor Fitness lives up to its mission. With one item sold, Valor Fitness donates one item to a homeless shelter or transitional rehab facility. Because Valor Fitness Clothing supports Sober Gratitudes mission, everyone can receive a discount when shopping. Use the code GRATITUDE20 at checkout. Also, every guest on my podcast will be graciously given a gift certificate from Valor. We're stronger together when we come together. Good morning. Welcome to Sober Gratitudes. My name is Sarah. So glad you're here to join me on another episode of Sober Gratitudes. Today I'm going to talk about hitting rock bottom. Have you hit a rock bottom? Or are you still thinking about whether or not you want to stop drinking? I've been in recovery long enough to hear that everyone has a very different experience of reaching the end of their journey in addiction. Uh, For me, it was, it couldn't have been more literal. And I know I've shared about it before on other podcasts that I've been on or with friends, I share a little bit about some have heard the dream in its entirety um, and others have heard bits and pieces of it. I have written about it before, but again, it was written on my old website, which I disbanded. And in the course of rebranding, a lot of my writing got lost, which is, and I try not to get disappointed about it, but I, you know, like with sobriety, like as the more time that I get sober, a lot of um, experiences that I share from my past change, mostly the, my sober story, like the recovery story, it changes because that's what happens to us in recovery is that people who are in recovery will understand what I'm saying. Is it like we tell our story at year one. And then when we tell our story again at year seven, it's very different. That's just, I'll just leave it at that. But, um, you know, I had my dream 
I know it was a very long, lucid dream. And it started out, I, I, I have lucid dreams that, are, that occur close to wake time, like four or five in the morning. And um, this one I had on the morning of May 8th or 9th. You know, I honestly can't, I think it's the morning of the 9th because the evening before we had found out that my dog um, was born, we got an email from the breeder. Don't hate me. We had to get this mini golden doodle because she was hype. She's hypoallergenic and we have a lot of allergies in this house. So adopting an animal was not going to happen because I would not want to break my children's hearts if we had to return a rescued animal or adopted animal. So we did have to get a dog that anyway, so this dog was born out in Illinois at pop had doodles. Oh my God. They breed the most adorable mini golden doodles and golden doodles. Um, they used to ship the dogs via airplane. They do a phenomenal job, but now they don't do it. Now they don't fly dogs out anymore. Now they just stick with local families. I think they just grew very fast and it was probably a little too much for them, but they did a phenomenal job. job. Maggie came to us barking behind the, uh, <laughs> the gate where all the, you know, animals come in and we could hear her barking. And it's like she, and we were calling for her and just like, she knew she was going to be a part of her family. It makes me emotional just thinking about it because, and I have a video of us retrieving her. My mom took the video of us and just, we knew anyway. So she was born the night before I had my rock bottom dream. So it's like this dog of mine that like I call her my sober dog, my sober my sober pup. Um, oh, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. <clears throat> um, because it, it's a very, it, this time in my life was extremely um, profound. I had just um, found out that one of my dear friends um, had um, been diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer and she has now um, been deceased for um, five years. I miss her. I miss her a lot. She and I did a lot of um, heavy hitting together she knew how to have fun and um she lived her life up to like the very last moment like it's incredible i i'll i'll leave it at that but so that was like i think the last major seed that was planted in my head um being told having her call me on a Tuesday night, I can't remember. It was a few months before my um, rock bottom dream that she called to tell me about it. And I was drunk. I was laying in bed, drunk. It was a Tuesday night, just because I drank every night at this point. And <clears throat> it, it really was a punch in the gut, a shock. You know, I, I'm like, what? Like she, 30, 38, no, what? And uh, scary. So um, if anyone who's listening knows who I'm talking about, um, Pardon me. Um, I 
that was the last seed that was planted before I got sober. So I, I, there's a part of me that feels like she saved my life. You know, her death was not in vain. Like she, I never had the chance to tell her that I was sober. At her funeral, I was sober. And I was grateful that I could be present for people. So yeah, I am. Sorry. So from the time she told me that um, she had cancer, I I was in a in a state of fear. Like I was gravely, I was so afraid. Um, I had done some googling on why would a thirty eight year old woman get stage four cancer and. Um, and it made me think about what I was doing how I was living my life how I was really pouring toxins into my body every day and um, but I, I didn't you know, obviously it didn't make me stop drinking immediately upon hearing that news. In fact, you know what, now that I think about it, um, you know, the time is fuzzy. Like I just, I'm trying to remember how much period of time went by. I feel like she told me in the winter and then in the spring I got sober, but it could have been like a win the winter a year before I got sober. I have to go back. It doesn't matter at this point, but it was close enough to when I got sober. Um, it made a huge impact on just um, life and that life is fragile and um, we really don't know when our end will be. And um, for me, hearing hearing that, um, was really um, so saddening. Um, I thought she'd kick it. I really did, because she's a tough, tough cookie. She was. Um, and yes, I have had dreams about her. <laughs> Not sure of, um, if I'll share them, but sometimes that, that happens for us. We, we get <clears throat> a dose of reality while we're in our active addiction and <clears throat> it forces us to make a change. And I do feel like that it did that for me. And um, maybe God was like, all right, Sarah, you're... <laughs> This dose of reality is not making an impact, immediate impact on you. So I'm going to send you this dream because <clears throat> I do believe the dreams that I have are gifts from God. <clears throat> so I, um, in this dream, I was, um, gosh, kind of like, I was just like a, really um artificial type person like i was very i lived in this enormous home i think i had a spouse and <clears throat> i had been unemployed for some time and i woke up in my dream in this enormous house, realizing that I was running late for my first day at a job. 
like a high power job. And let me just let you know that I am not like this high power professional. I never was. I was never, I've never been like a glam girl. Although I do enjoy wearing foundation that covers up my lines and puts a little glisten in my cheeks um, since I am close to 49 at this point. But I, in the dream, I woke up and was just mortified because I was, I was, I woke up late. Um, I got all my clothes on, which were like high fashion, like really high fashion. And I was wearing like three inch Prada heels and I was running around the house. It was like so chaotic. The dream was, it was just chaos from the moment it started. And I uh, ran out to my car, which was a Lexus. It was a Lexus car, like the newest model. And it was white. And I don't know if that really matters, but I was running to get to the car in my three-inch Prada heels. And um, are the I think the Prada heels, are they the ones with like the red on the bottom? I don't even know. Maybe that's Jimmy Choo. So it was Jimmy Choo heels, like whatever the ones with the red bottoms. And I was running, running to the Lexus. Oh my God, I'm running late. I'm in like this like high fashion mini skirt suit with t- shitloads of makeup on really just not, not myself. Like it, that's not me. I don't doll up all the time and, and um, wear mini skirt suits. Even when I did have a job that required suits, I, ne- I, they were kind of like modest, more modest. I would never consider myself like a sexy dresser. But in the stream, I was like a sexy dresser. <laughs> and so I ran, got in the car, <clears throat> was tripping because the, the, my heels were getting stuck in the rocks because it wasn't like, it was a gravel driveway. So everything about the dream already was just totally chaotic. Like I said before, got into the car, bringing in the rocks, the gravel from the driveway into, the, into this Lexus which was like angering me to no end started driving off, you know, punching in the codes to the, to the location of my new job. And uh, I lived on a lot of land, which is opposite of the, of the truth of my life. Um, Even back then nine, almost nine years ago. Um, and so I was driving, 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 speeding, 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 like drinking coffee. I think it spilled. I think it was just chaos. So I'm like, okay, now I know, I know where I'm going, know where I'm going. So I, I'm traveling along the highway and then I'm like, fuck, I missed my exit. So I get off, but I get off on an on-ramp. And then I'm back on the highway going the wrong direction. And like for a large portion of the dream, I'm constantly like on and off, on and off, but like not doing it the right way. And I'm getting, as I'm doing this, I'm getting more and more lost. It's just, again, chaos, chaos, chaos. Out of control. No, don't know where I'm going. Completely confused and angry, like just so angry. And so then I finally, I'm like, I finally got off and I'm like, I just, I can't deal with this highway anymore. It's just too chaotic and I can't get on the right way to get to my job. I'm already, and I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, fuck, I'm already late. <clears throat> so, um, and this, I, dream, I had this dream before iPhones. I did not have an iPhone because I, th- I think it was 2013 or 14. Is that when iPhones came out? I don't know. I had a flip, maybe a flip phone <clears throat> and um, couldn't even like get that in order to try to call 
my new employer. I'm late. I'm running late because I can't, I have no control over my life. I, don't, I have no control over this car where I'm going. Chaos. So I finally, at some point, get on to um, a road and it's a little bit calmer. And I just keep going down this road and it's becoming more and more rural. So it's like busy at first. There's, it's like pavement and then it goes to all the way down and, and I'm traveling. I'm just in the stream. It's like forever and I'm going, I'm going. And then as the longer I do go down this road, it turns into um, a dirt road. And I can remember the sound, like it was bumpy. There was potholes rocks flying all over the place <clears throat> and I uh, I'm just so frustrated I'm like I am so off course I'm never going to get to this job I'm probably fired already and I'm becoming like just really um more and more uh, like the frustration level is just turning into kind of like ugh, I, I I have no control anymore like I don't know I don't know where I'm going so I arrive at a destination which was not in my plan and it's a construction site a building was being constructed and there were a lot of people there working on it but this construction but the the building itself was was still like in its infancy stages. So you see, all I saw were like metal, it was, it was like metallic beams and it was very high. It was a very, very tall building, but no flooring beyond like maybe the fifth floor. It's just like piping and metal metallic just very metallic like i could hear the ding 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 the sounds of the metal like people working and and i saw but i saw people going in and out as if they were working there like at a job like at a you know to a company um that already kind of like took space in in the in this um building but then like beyond the fifth floor it was just empty space with just the metallic rot like beams where there were construction workers <clears throat> and ma the majority of the people there were um kind of just orchestrating where everyone needed to go like so they were they weren't police but they were dressed, and this is, this is what's really um, frightening. They were dressed, and oh, sorry, I'm getting emotional again. <laughs> they looked like Nazi sh soldiers. If anyone has seen, like, concentration, concentration camp pictures, picture... the Nazi police and how they were dressed. That's what I saw. That's who I saw. Those were the men orchestrating where everyone should go. So I got out of my car and I'm like, I am lost. I don't know where to go. I'm supposed to be blah, blah, blah. No, you come in here. Come, come inside. I'm like, why? This isn't not just come. And I'm like, at this point, I'm just like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what the fuck is going on. Everything is out of control. It's total chaos. I think my shoes were off at this point. No, they were, they were still on, but they were just all mangled and like 
from like all the gravel from back at my house and back and now in this new <clears throat> location, this construction site. And so I was brought to um, a place to enter the unfinished building <clears throat> or near finished building. And <clears throat> I was told to um, step on this um, step up, like not like stairs, but I had to, I had to climb, climb to get to an elevator by walking <clears throat> across these beams, these, these metallic <clears throat> poles. I always say poles. I don't know why I say that. I think because they, they look like poles, like they're just, <clears throat> they were gray and just, um, very cold. It was like a very cold type of material for a building. So I, I, it's very, it was very off kiltered. You know, I'm trying really hard to walk across these beams with these three inch Jimmy Choo's. <clears throat> and I finally got to a level where there was an elevator so I could go up higher to wherever they wanted me to go. And <clears throat> a whole mess of us got onto this elevator and we went up. We just, it was me and a bunch of people and everyone was somber. It was just very cold and somber. So by the time I got in the elevator and people were like coming in and it was like jam packed I was like, where the hell am I going? Where am I going? Who are these people? I have no idea what's going on. Why was I brought here? Um, and I finally got to the top and everyone exited. Everyone got off and then they left and they went to where they were supposed to go. And I was told to stay on the elevator. So I stayed on the elevator. I was the only one in this huge elevator. And it was then I realized that this elevator was the walls were not walls, but they were, they were glass walls. So it was like a huge fish tank almost. That's the only way I can really describe it. And the people who had just been on the elevator with me were all watching me from the other side. And somebody, one of these concentration camp looking soldiers pushed this red button and the doors closed and I started to just descend. <clears throat> and I'm like, what that, what is going on? This is out of control. Like, where am I? This makes no sense. This makes no sense. And all of a sudden I felt a chill at my feet and I looked down and I saw liquid pooling around my feet. And I looked all around, I looked all around and there was um, water, what I thought was water, like filling up this fish tank that I was trapped in. It was moving downward. And the more um, I went down, the higher the water rose. And this was a slow, agonizing amount of time in my dream. And I dreamt, I, I was in this dream being submerged in a, this huge vat of liquid to the point where it, the liquid went up to my chin, my nose. I, I put my head back so I could keep breathing. And then the water just what I thought was water, completely submerged me and I was drowning. I was drowning. And 
my, I was just flailing, trying to get free. And I couldn't, I was trapped. And I knew I was dying. And I was horrified, I was terrified. And I woke up. And the moment I woke up, I went <gasps> like I was gasping for air. And I realized that I was holding my breath in real life. And uh, I was awake and I was catching my breath. As I lay there, my head pounding from the hangover. I, I just, it was like my, my heart was like beating in my ears and my head. And I, I was like, like I, I don't know how long I was holding my breath in my dream or in real life, <clears throat> it was like a crossover event. Like I was literally experiencing being drowned, like, but I was, it was just really unbelievable. So when I was awake laying there, like, and I, and it was for anyone who's have had massive hangovers, like it's hard to move, you know, cause your head's pounding and your heart, um, your heart's probably pounding as well because, right, that's what happens to our hearts, you know, our poor hearts when we're in hangover phase. We're really injuring our hearts. To say the least. And so I was in a bit of shock, I think, because of this dream. Because I felt, I, I woke up and I was like, okay, I'm alive. However, I lay there um, not able to like sob. What I, that's what I wanted to do is I wanted to sob. But sobbing would make my headache worse. So that just tears, I was laying on my back, tears just came pouring out the sides of my eyes into my ears, clogging up my ears. <laughs> And I, I just, I couldn't believe that dream. I just couldn't believe the, the, the chaos and the death. And I was so, I was so sad. I was so empty. I just felt so defeated and um, so done. I was so tired. At that moment, I heard my youngest son, Cameron. I heard him call for me in his little sweet sing-songy voice that he still has because he's, st he's 13. Yeah, he hasn't gone through puberty yet. But when he was three or four, I, I still can't, I have to figure out exactly what age he was, but... He had just the sweetest little sing-songy voice, and I heard it. He was calling for me, and I got up, and I'm just feeling so sick, dry heaving. But I went to him. I went to my son, and he was laying in bed, and he was just, he, like, just was sunshiny, um, and this, this boy has like just the most precious face. Um, and I laid down next to him and he, he, his bed is next to a window. So he was looking outside and, you know, he had been diagnosed with autism soon, like not too long before this day. 
And uh, I lay down next to him because I was like, oh, I'm so sick. I feel so sick. And I was still in a state of shock over that dream, uh, trying to pull myself together. And I looked at him because he laid down, he put his head down and he looked at my face and, hi, mommy. And I just, I just wept. And I thought, what am I doing? What am I doing to myself? (laughs) And then I kept thinking about the dream. I kept thinking about just that crazy dream of chaos and nothing. I couldn't control anything. Everything was out of control. And um, it came to me at that moment that the liquid I was being drowned in wasn't water. It was alcohol. I was drowning myself in alcohol. I kept asking myself, what am I doing to my son? What am I doing to my other two sons? What, am, what is this doing to my husband? Like, what am I doing to myself? Like, what am I doing? I kept thinking, I have to stop. Because, you know, before this, this morning, there had been so many times I tried to stop on my own, but this time was so different. And I thought, I don't want to die. I don't want to leave my children motherless. And then suddenly I had a thought, a different thought, a thought that I never had before. And the thought was Google local recovery meetings. And the moment that I that thought came into my head and I believe it was a message planted in my mind from God because for two years every morning before that morning I woke up really really mad that God hadn't taken me in my sleep. So why was it suddenly that morning I had a completely different thought? A thought that was one that was a sign of self-care because I was going to be reaching out for help. So the moment that thought came into my mind, I felt like this huge sense of relief. Like, it's over. Like, it's over. This life that I've been leading of major chaos and conflict and not know where, not knowing where I was going, uh-huh. drowning myself in alcohol. That thought 
just thinking that made me feel relief. So I went downstairs, not as quickly as I said that. <laughs> it took me some time to get down to the computer. And by then, my kids were, you know, just playing. They, they were all like in elementary school or younger. So they didn't go to school super early like they do now that they're in um, high school. So I sat at the computer and I Googled local recovery meetings and I found one in my town, walking distance from my house, eight o'clock that evening. And I felt more relief. I really, I felt the best that I had felt in so long. Like it was like I was waving that white flag. Like I, it's over. Like I can't, I can't fight this alone anymore. So I, uh, the kids were off to school. My husband went to work. I took a shower. I put some makeup on. I don't remember what I did that day. I was probably caring for my children. I may have taken a nap because I usually needed to do that every day because, you know, to help kick the hangover. I drank, I remember drinking a lot of water that day. And then um, I told my husband, because um, my kids were still so little, they were in bed by 7.30 and the meeting was at eight. So they were in bed and I wasn't, I hadn't picked up a drink. I usually would start drinking by then around three or four. And my husband was home and I think he was watching the news or something. And I said, um, I'm going to be going out. There's a, um, there's something I got to go to. And he said, where are you going? And I said, there's something going on at the church. Um, I think I said some Bible study. I couldn't even tell. I, I, I just was, um, I think I, I didn't want to tell him because I wasn't quite sure what was going to be happening. Because my thinking was that I was going to go to this meeting and there was a possibility that I was going to show up and be told that, no, you don't belong here. You don't qualify. And there was a small part of me that was hoping that that was the case because the thought of abstaining and the thought of letting go of that crutch, that coping mechanism that I had for so long, the thought of Leaving that behind was really scary, but I was simultaneously feeling such great relief. So it was a confusing state to be in. So my husband didn't ask any further questions. He didn't say, well, what kind of meeting is it? Like he just said, okay. I think he, I th I th if we asked him today, he probably remembers it. Thank you. I'd never been to any kind of church meeting at eight o'clock at night before. But, you know, we were, um, our relationship, you know, had taken a lot of hits up until that point. And, I know for me, uh, raising our kids 
was so important to me. And I know he and I had kind of, we were kind of on different journeys and we weren't being honest with each other about parenting and our experiences parenting and my drinking certainly didn't help. So when I left, uh, I drove there. I didn't need to, but I did. <clears throat> I could have walked. And I got there and there was a bunch of men with tattoos standing by motorcycles outside of the entrance to this church. And I'm like, oh. I don't know if this is the right meeting. And so I walked up and everyone, there's a lot of men smoking. I think there was, no, there wasn't any women. So I wasn't quite sure. I said, is it, um, and they all noticed me and I, I wasn't afraid, but I was just a little confused. And one of them, dropped a cigarette and he walked towards me and he said, is this your first time here? And I said, yes. I said, I'm not sure if this is the right meeting. Um, he goes, no, this is a meeting for men and women. So you, So you're, you're at the right meeting. So come on in. So we went in and I walked in again. There was all men. I'm like, oh, dear God. Like, was this guy lying to me? I was so terrified. But I just sat down and I was glued to the seat. And somebody said, um, because the leader said, um, is that anyone new to this meeting? And I raised my hand and um, he said, is this your first time at this meeting or first time ever coming to a meeting of this kind? And I said, yeah, this is my, this is day one. And everyone started clapping. And they all just were so uh, welcoming. And oh, it was like in unison. They said, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here. You're in the right place. And at this point, I hadn't said a word. I mean, I was sobbing at this point. And so I didn't know it then, but the meeting became about me, me being like a newcomer. This was my day one. So everyone started sharing, introducing themselves and qualifying themselves. <clears throat> And it got to me, and I was so afraid. I just said, hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm an alcoholic. And when I said that word, it was like, I couldn't even, it couldn't roll off my tongue. It was so surreal. I mean, this is the first time I uttered that word and associated it with me. After my 25-year-long love affair with alcohol, starting at the age of 14, now I'm 39. qualifying myself as an alcoholic. 
and there are no coincidences because I learned later that um, they knew that I had said, where are the women? You know, I was, I don't think they wanted me to leave. And for some reason, no women were there. And they were um, calling women they knew in the program to come to the meeting. And the last 10 minutes of the meeting, I, don't, I can't believe I stayed that long. I was listening. I was listening to stories. I was listening to people tell me of when they first got sober and I was identifying with everything they said. And I felt like, wait a minute, how do they know my story? How do they know how I'm feeling? How do they know? And suddenly the there was another entrance to this church and I heard like, boom, these doors opening and in comes a woman, a little spitfire she was. And she walked in and the, the man who had greeted me initially outside the church, he got up and he went over to her and I was watching and I saw them talking in the corner and I was like, of course, I'm like, oh, they must be talking about me. Like, what are they going to do to me? Like, what, what's going to happen? And the woman came and sat down right next to me, her friend, the man, he put a chair, an empty chair next to me and she sat in it. And she said, hi, I am, I'm not going to say her name. And she said, this is your first day? I said, yeah. And she, she grabbed onto my hand and she said, you're in the right place. And I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. And then from that moment on, she was on me like white on rice. And um, we met, we talked, and she suggested some other meetings. And then I started to go to another meeting daily at 530, which was perfect because that was around the time that I was like an hour or two into my bottle of wine or a second bottle of wine. So <clears throat> it was nice to like go to a meeting that replaced an old behavior, which was consuming alcohol. And that was almost nine years ago. haven't shared this in so long and I haven't gotten emotional about this in so long so I appreciate you uh, listening to this really very profound day in my life it was the day that I finally surrendered to what I couldn't control, and that was my alcohol consumption. And God was doing for me what I could not do for myself by gifting me that dream, bringing me to a place of complete deflation, complete exhaustion. I was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. Those were the words that other people spoke on my first day and I thought are these people aliens and reading my mind <laughs> but hearing them share their stories and even though a lot they were all very different the feelings that they had made sense to me 
And they talked about how they felt so alone in the beginning and helpless and hopeless. And that's what I was feeling. But I was, I had spoke earlier of, of like how I felt lighter with just the thought of Googling a local recovery meeting. And by the end of that meeting, I mean, I was tired, but I was tired because I was crying a lot, not because I was nursing a hangover. Well, maybe I still was detox. Yeah, I was detoxing. I took me a couple of months to really detox from alcohol. And magical things happened in my life. The first 90 days. <clears throat> and I'll leave that for another episode if, if you're interested. Because it's incredible as well. And um, I didn't feel alone anymore. I didn't feel like I was a weirdo. I was in shock that there were so many other people like me. And that there was hope, finally. And it's because of that that dream that just brought me to my knees. I'm not sure how this episode will impact you, my listener, or listeners. I guess for anyone who's really struggling with um, the idea of surrendering to what they can't control, for me, it was uh, the best thing I ever did for myself. Because what I'm experiencing today is um, unbelievable. I have a beautiful life. I am no longer enslaved by the chains of addiction. I no longer have the obsession to drink. I never have to deal with hangovers anymore. My, I've had a huge 180 change in my personality. I've learned how to take care of myself. I've learned how to um, be kind to myself. I know how it feels nine years later to feel helpless and hopeless in active addiction. I can't ever forget because I don't ever want to go back. I felt like I was useless. I did not feel my life had any meaning. I had no sense of self-worth. I had incredible self-loathing. I had incredible shame. And I was full of self-pity. And today, I don't have those feelings anymore. Um, I have made friends in my program. who love me and I love. I have relationships in my, my life that have healed. I go to bed at night grateful that I lived a day that I felt proud of. Even if I had a really horrible day and I got to bed without picking up a drink, I was told to just remember that. If you can get to 
your pillow and you can put your head on that pillow and you haven't picked up, then you can say that you can thank God that you had an awesome day. And I had a lot of those days and then I didn't, I didn't have days like that anymore because I didn't even think about alcohol anymore. And then I started, I started a new journey from that day, a journey in recovery. And at times it felt like that dream. But I knew I was moving forward away from dysfunction and sickness. And I was moving towards health and healing. So even when I had <coughs> difficult days in sobriety, um, they were better than any of the days that I was drunk. And my life began to feel more and more manageable. And I started to help other people, welcoming newcomers, seeing, seeing my own face and others who came in for their very first day and crying because I knew exactly how they felt and wanting so, so badly to share with them that it's better on the other side of addiction even when the days are hard. It's so worth it. There's so much hope in recovery. And if you're having a hard day, know that hard days do occur. They, they will still occur in sobriety. But the more, more time... I accumulate as a sober woman, the easier it is to deal with the reality, the realities of life. Because life isn't perfect. Life can be difficult. But the difficult things in life, for me back when I was drinking, they're not difficult anymore. Those things aren't difficult. It's changed. It's like my perspective on life is completely changed. And every day I pray that I get to live to be a hundred. At least. Because I spent so many years of my life drowning myself in alcohol. I don't beat myself up over that. On the contrary, I have learned to have compassion for how I lived my life up until day one because I did the best I could. And my life was saved. And I'm incredibly lucky and I don't take it for granted. And because I am on the other side of addiction, having a life beyond my wildest dreams, it, it doesn't make sense to me to not spend each day of my life seeking out those who are struggling like I did to offer hope And again, that's why I started this podcast. A sober life is possible if you truly want it.
if you want a life beyond your wildest dreams, it's possible. Just let go. Surrender to what you can't control. And trust it when I tell you that you will have more power in sobriety than you ever did in addiction. I love you all. Thank you for supporting this podcast and my mission. And thank you for allowing me to be this vulnerable today. If you need to hear it, as a dear friend of mine says in his podcast, everything's going to be okay. And I am going to try and go out and live a life that was worth saving. And I hope you do the same.